God has blessed us all so richly, and it's wonderful that we can be together this evening to honor and glorify Him and give Him thanks for all He's doing for us, worship Him, and, and uh, lift one another up as well in our coming together. So thank you for being here. We have some visitors. We're glad that you can be with us tonight. Tomorrow, maybe it's happened already around your house, but very likely tomorrow, somebody's going to open a present and say, that's not what I asked for. (laughs) If they don't say it, they may be thinking it. Has that ever happened? Probably, as I said, already. Uh, And if not, it probably will happen in the next couple of days to somebody. Did it make you wonder when that happened? Did it make you wonder, is a person who gave me this gift, does he really love me? Do they, my parents, do they really love me? You know, they gave, this is not what I asked for. Do they really love me? They gave me this thing, that's not what I asked for. Sometimes God doesn't give us quite what we ask for. Sometimes he doesn't give us what we ask for at all. Sometimes he gives us the opposite of what we ask for. And it can be, a challenge of our faith in his love for us. We don't understand. We wonder why. And it can be something that breaks a person's faith or inhibits it greatly if they allow it to. We've been talking all year at Eastside about making this house a house of prayer as God intended for it to be. We've been talking about prayer in many lessons. I haven't counted all of them, but boy, there have been a lot, right? And we've looked at prayer from a lot of different standpoints. And this is something I think that's important that we explore before the year gets out. Because as diligent as our prayers may be, as sincere as they may be, as devoted to prayer as we may be, yet still we'll experience this. God will say no, or God will say wait, or God will give that which we did not ask for. A famous American millionaire one time owned the Atlanta Braves and started Turner Broadcasting System, Ted Turner. Uh, when he was, was a boy, was raised by uh, God-fearing parents who raised him to be a Christian. I use that in the uh, worldly sense of a Christian. But uh, he one time said that uh, he had been uh, saved seven or eight times. So obviously never saved, but he, he had been saved seven or eight times according to his own count. But what happened in his life, he said, was that he became disenchanted with Christianity because his sister died even after he prayed for God to spare her. Now, that's one famous account of somebody losing their faith, what faith they had, because God didn't answer a prayer the way they wanted. That could be multiplied by millions of times, I'm sure. So many. So many people who were once even faithful, true Christians lose faith because God doesn't do what they want Him to. My favorite cartoon comic strip is um, Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, it's just, I, if you, probably most of you have seen it, but this little boy who maybe he's eight years old or so, so, something, but he has... He's just all boy, but he's also quite the philosopher. Reminds me of one of my grandsons in that way. Um, quite the philosopher. And yet, 
Um, he has a, a buddy who's actually his uh, uh, stuffed pet tiger, but he thinks it's real and treats it like it's real, and they have conversations. So you've probably seen the strip. But in, in one of Calvin and Hobbes' comic strips, he is he's asking God for snow. He, he wants snow, and he goes around and he asks, you know, it shows him asking God and pleading with God for snow and just three or four inches and, you know, it's plenty of time for snow and he spins around and he, he grimaces and all this sort of stuff and, and still no snow and it shows him in all these different contortions of asking for snow and then you get to the end of uh, the, car, the cartoon strip and Calvin is looking up into the heavens and saying, do you want me to become an atheist? Do you want me to become an atheist? No, God doesn't want you to become an atheist. And that's not why he doesn't sometimes answer your prayers the way you want. I want to say, to begin with tonight, that when prayers aren't granted to our satisfaction, a lot of people are going to ask why. Even some people of pretty great faith. I want to take you back in your Bibles into the Old Testament. Look with me at Psalm 88. And... Notice several verses here. I'm not going to read all of it, but some of it to get the flavor of what's being said here. This is a contemplation of Heman the Ezraite. Verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline my ear, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off from your hand. Obviously, the psalmist is seeing himself as in someone in great need, someone in deep despair, whom God is not listening to. And you go on, we'll skip down a little bit and look at verses 9 where he says, my eye wastes away because of affliction. Lord, I've called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. He's praying, he's praying, yet he remains afflicted. And then we come to verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Here's a man in desperation, apparently. He's in great affliction, in fear of his very life. And yet, in his mind, God's not hearing. God's not answering. And what's the question that he asks? Do you notice it? Why? Now, typically, why isn't a good question <laughs> when you're talking to God. Because it is one that might engender doubt, that demonstrates doubt and might engender a loss of faith, I should say. And yet, here's a person of faith, obviously, who asked that question. And you can see it even maybe between the lines of the 13th Psalm, where David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He also feels that God is not listening to him, paying attention to him. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice 
when I am moved. And so he also feels at this point like God's not listening. God is not watching me. God is not paying attention. The thing about our Heavenly Father is that um, he can answer prayer in a lot of ways. And just because he doesn't answer the way you expect doesn't mean he's not listening. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. Uh, In fact, sometimes we need to, as the old country song says, thank God for unanswered prayers. Because looking back in our lives, all of us can probably find something that we prayed about. Had God granted it the way we had wished, our lives would not have been blessed in the way that they wound up being blessed. And I think we all know that. So think with me, though, about why would God say no to a prayer of his child? There are so many passages, and we've looked at them, that God's attentive to the prayers of his children, that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And so so many passages that we looked at all through the year, helping us come to a level, hopefully, of real faith in prayer and to to be people devoted to prayer. But sometimes God's going to say no, honestly, because we are not righteous. And we may not see that, but God does. How many times have we been blind to our own sins? only to discover later on, wow, I was really in the midst of something horrible and I didn't even see it in myself. And maybe even if we do see it, we deny it, not only to others, but also in our own minds. But God is not disposed to look favorably upon the prayers of those who are not righteous. Even the psalmist understood that. And again, those who are writing the psalms are good men. They're people of faith, inspired men. David and others. Look at Psalm 66 in verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. People of faith need to understand that. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. There's an indication that, you know, iniquity was not in his heart. The wise man in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9 says, The one who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. And, And I've said this over and over again in talking about prayer. If you won't listen to God, he won't listen to you. It's as simple as that. That's what that text is saying. You turn your way, your ear away from hearing him, and he has no inclination whatsoever to listen to you. Anybody who's a parent understands that. If your kids are disobedient, won't listen to you, don't do what you say, don't care to pick up their room, take out the trash, whatever it is that you ask them to do that they're not doing, be quiet when you're trying to talk to somebody else, and then they want you to do something for them. No, you're not going to do that. Every mother and father in this room understands that. It's not that you don't love your child. It's that they need to learn to listen to you. And that's a more valuable lesson than almost any lesson they'll ever learn. They need to learn to listen to their parents. That's how God is. Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. If you're doing right, God will be with you. You can cast your burden on him, cast your cares upon him, as Peter will write. And he says, Peter does, by the way, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So while David had said, you're not paying attention to me, you're not looking at me, 
What the Bible says is that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He's paying attention. That's saying he's paying attention. He's watching. He does see what's going on in your life. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. These are just basic principles of what empowers our prayers and what weakens them. And if you want a prayer that's not going to be effective at all or get any higher than the ceiling, just pray a prayer while consciously living in unrighteousness. And God will not hear. Sometimes God's going to say no, and because we have not prayed in faith. James chapter 1, we're familiar with. God is a great giver. He gives to all liberally and without reproach. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God then. Here's something we can ask God for. We need to be asking God for on a regular basis. But, James says in James chapter 1 and verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. We must ask in faith. And if we don't ask in faith, we can't expect to receive anything. God's going to say no. And I've used this illustration many times. I've thought about it many times over the years. Uh, when my son was younger, this is often how he would approach me to ask for things. He would, he'd start by saying, I know you'll probably say no, so <laughs> here's what I want. Well, if he knows I'm probably going to say no, guess what? I'm probably going to say no. When we go to God and we say, God, I know you're probably going to say no, but uh, here's, I'm asking for this anyway, he's probably going to say no, right? That's, that's, a, that's a simple, simple truth. We learn from James 1 that a person who asks but doesn't have faith is like, like the, the waves of the sea. And the thing about them is they're just driven by the wind and tossed. You know which way the waves go, right? Whichever way the wind's blowing. And, and a person that is, is no more stable in his faith than that is not a person of faith. While one minute you're trusting God for something you need or asking him for what you need, but you really, when the wind blows the other, day, other way, you're doubting that he even exists or cares about you or anything or will answer your prayers, you're just like that, and I'm just like that when that happens. And something we hinted at a minute ago is that God's going to say no sometimes because we're not praying according to his will. 1 John 5 and verse 14 that we've looked at a lot this year several times John says this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him so that's a very positive statement of God listening to and answering to and heeding the prayers of those who ask according to his will but that is of course of course with that proviso that you ask according to his will and let's face it, we have the will of God before us here. And if God has made a promise, as we've said through this year, if God has made a promise, made a statement in Scripture, a fact, we can rely on that as we pray. And we know we're praying according to His will. But the reality is, as far as 
events in our lives are concerned, things that might happen physically, emotionally to us in the present or the future, or to our loved ones. Brothers and sisters, may I say bluntly to you, we do not always know God's will. We don't when it comes to those things, the things that have not been revealed and the things that are going on in our lives. And even about what's going to happen tomorrow. James warns us about planning for tomorrow and leaving God out of the picture. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, he says. You don't know what the will of God is for tomorrow. You might not be here tomorrow. But keep that in mind as we pray as well. And realize God doesn't just have your life in his hands. He has everybody's lives in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And he is working everything out so beautifully for good to those that love him. He's working that out for us. We'll talk about that more in just a bit. In James chapter 4 and verse 3, though we learn that here are some people who were not receiving what they asked for because they were really intentionally asking only for themselves. James 4 and verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. They're not really, you know, you're just asking for things because you want things. You're asking for things because you want pleasure. You're asking for good things to happen in your lives, because, life because you want to enjoy good things for good things' sake. Because your life needs to be good no matter how, you know, terrible everybody else's life is. It's not the kind of prayer that God is inclined to answer either. Not so that we might spend it on our own pleasures or live a pleasurable life unconcerned about others. We don't receive because we ask amiss. Selfishly is the point of that. So God's got a lot of reasons to say no at times to various requests. And especially, again, when it comes to things that are behind the curtain of heaven that we are not aware of, things that God is planning and his intentions for all of us that we may not see or understand fully. Paul lifts the curtain just a little bit for us in 2 Corinthians 12, doesn't he? When, in verse 7... He says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that, I may, that lest I be exalted above measure. Now, here Paul is giving us the full picture of what's happening. The, again, the, the behind the scenes, what's going on in heaven above, in the mind of God. Uh, he, he probably didn't learn this until somewhat later after the thorn in the flesh came. I'm guessing that, but I, I don't imagine that God came to him and said, Paul, uh, I'm giving you all these revelations and I don't want you to get too uppity, so I'm giving you a, a thorn in the flesh to go with them. Maybe he did, but I'm rather thinking that he had the revelations already, the indication is in the grammar, and then the thorn in the flesh came. Why did the thorn in the flesh come? God's trying to keep Paul humble. You think he might do that for us? 
There's not anybody in this room that doesn't need a good shot of humility once in a while. I'm first in line for that, by the way. We all need that. And if, uh, you know, we were king of the world and everything went our way all the time, we wouldn't have it. So even with his great apostle Paul, who he blessed in so many ways, but you might remember also caused to suffer immensely beatings and imprisonment, deprivation, and some thorn in the flesh. We don't even know what it was. Here he's talking about. So this comes to Paul, not because he's not humble, but to keep him humble. How about that? It's not a punishment for pride. It's something that will help him be humble. Some, some malady, maybe something that's outward that people look at and say, ooh, there's a guy with that problem, you know. Whatever it was, he goes on to say, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have really a hard time uh, processing that passage. The part where he says, I take pleasure in these things. If, if, if we prayed for you know, healing from some thorn in the flesh or some problem to be removed and God doesn't take it away, I, I think most of us are going to struggle to take pleasure in it. But Paul says, I take pleasure in needs, in persecutions, in reproaches. And all of these painful things in life, distresses, so that I might, might rely on the power of Christ. God noticed this then. By not answering Paul's prayer the way Paul wanted, was doing Paul a very great service. Keeping him humble keeping him relying on God's power and God's strength instead of his own. And again, we all need that. We all need it. And this wasn't the only time that God restrained or refrained at times from healing people, helping people with their physical needs, at least for long periods of time. You realize that the lame man that the Lord healed at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5 had been lame for 38 years. 38 years. You realize God could have healed him the first day he got lame, right? 38 years. The woman with the issue of blood had been sick for 12 years and gone to many doctors and suffered many things from them. The woman in Luke 13 
was bent over and could not, could not straighten up, had been that way for 18 years. 18 years, couldn't stand up straight. What did we learn? Maybe when God doesn't answer prayers quickly like we'd like, as soon as we want to and allows us to go through suffering for long periods of time. What did we learn? We learned to trust Him. As Job said, when he was in the midst of his misery, having lost all of his family, all of his wealth, and lastly, his health, and he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. What a lesson. And that comes to sort of the next point, which sometimes God's going to say, just wait and see. Just wait and see. In Job's case, at the end, he wound up way better than at the beginning, right? God blessed him abundantly more than he had before. How many times has that happened in life? Where, sure, somebody went through suffering. Maybe it was us. We went through a hard time of deprivation or distress or whatever it was, only to come out better than we'd ever been before. The Lord knows what he's doing with us. Let's acknowledge that, that he, after all, is God. God takes time in creating beauty, and very little of beauty is created without pain. Can I say that again? He takes time in creating beauty, and very little beauty is created without pain. It takes, it takes effort, it takes diligence, and often hurt. Michelangelo worked on his painting of the Sistine Chapel basically upside down for four years. Four years. That kind of illustrates it, doesn't it? Beauty takes a long time sometimes, and it takes pain. But the wise man saw in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 that he's made everything beautiful in its time, but it does take time. We learn through this to trust his wisdom. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, gets the announcement from the angel that he's going to be um, not a granddaddy, but a daddy. Okay, He's well up in his years. His wife is well up in her years. It's a, a redo of Abraham and Sarah all over again, nearly. And the text in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13 is worth noting. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. We get out of that, first of all, just in a casual look at that, that, that Zacharias has been praying for a child. What you might not get out of most English translations there is that evidently he had stopped praying for a child. You don't see that in the way that's brought over into English. But um, the tense there is aorist, which is past and punctiliar, which is to say something that happened in the past, but it's not happening anymore. It's not past perfect. It's past stopped. It happened in the past. He prayed in the past. And so one of the uh, word studies that I looked at on this, Vincent's word study, uh, talked about it this way. Um, the aorist is appropriate, referring back to the past acts of prayer. That prayer, uh, Vincent says, that prayer which thou no longer offerest. 
which thou no longer offer, was heard. The prayer that you're no longer even praying was heard. And you're going to have a son. You ever done that? You ever prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you think, well, that's just not going to happen, never going to be. And then, maybe years later, it happens. Happened to me this last year. And usually, when that happens, you realize, number one, you really didn't need it back when you asked for it to begin with. If God had given it to you back then, it had not been good. And he waited all this time so you could handle it when you got it. That happens. The beautiful thing about it is that even when we forget our prayers, heaven doesn't. And heaven knows what's good for us. And God makes everything beautiful in his time. God answers prayer today, he does, but in the wisest way, in his way. And as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts higher than our thoughts and his ways than our ways. It is incumbent upon us then to trust him, to pray diligently, to pray in righteousness, to pray according to his will, to pray in faith, and to trust him with the rest of it. I saw this piece and I wanted to share it. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but all I hoped for. I am among all men the most richly blessed. And aren't we all? God loves you so very much. He wants to give you everything. In his way, in his time. He wants, first of all, for you to give him you. Do that. If you've never done it before, do it now. If you need to make a commitment to the Lord again, ask forgiveness for things you've done in times past, ask for prayers for strength, whatever it is, we'd ask you to come while we stand and sing.